0: Welcome to She Inspires Me. I'm your host, Caroline Bruni, founder of She Inspires Me and Organise Curate Design. Launched as a Facebook passion project back in 2017, She Inspires Me was reborn as a podcast in 2020 to highlight the incredible women we all encounter in our everyday lives. Thanks to our key sponsor, Organise Curate Design, I welcome you to Season 2, another year of sharing the stories of inspirational women. Welcome to another episode of She Inspires Me. Today, I have with me Jackie O'Donoghue. Jackie, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I am glad to hear that your voice is nice and clear because I know that you are in recovery and we will dive into what I mean by recovery, but it's good to hear that you are sounding well and looking well um, whilst in recovery but so I don't give too much away I will share with our listeners a little bit about you um, and then we can kind of explain what I mean. So Jackie O'Donoghue lives a life of adventure after joining the WA police force at only 19 years old she now balances a career in the corporate world while running ultra marathons or solo through hiking in the bush and is inspired by her late father's adventures. Her dad was a sub- submariner with the Royal Australian Navy and his death at the age of 59 led Jackie to put pen to paper and write about their story, recently releasing her book, Reflections Through the Periscope, A Love Letter to Dad. Jackie is passionate about leading and developing in the community She's an active member of Rotary and currently the president president elect 2021-22 20, for her club as well as an active member of her local women's cricket club. Her goal is to inspire a little bit of adventure in all of us. Now ultra marathon is exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to recovery. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. My uh, my chest is a little raspy still. So um, I ran 107 kilometres in the Alpine region on the weekend. Um, the goal was 100, and it was cold <laughs> on the weekend. We are recording yeah. in Victoria; it is cold, and uh, I'm not I'm not overly used to the cold. But um, so I run through the night. I don't stop. I'm running through the night. It got down to sub-zero temperatures. And the goal was to run 160, but at 107, I was coughing up blood and the throat was closing up and I couldn't eat or drink. So I made the decision to pull the pin and I've been a bit raspy in the chest all week. So just trying to stay warm and rest up really to recover, ready to do it all over again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I love about you. I knew that this wasn't a, oh, this defeated me. This It was just like, oh, this is just part of the this game that is ultra marathons, um, and sometimes it doesn't. You don't go to plan, and and I'm glad to hear. I was seeing the updates um, from your team because you have a team of people that come and support you, and I was seeing the updates, and and it was, though. Like I'm sure for anyone who works towards anything, when it when it doesn't quite go to plan, it can be disappointing. But I, it was really great to hear that you were, you know you had received the support that you had and, and you were on your way home. So, um, but let's get stuck in because I have a lot of questions. Um, I have personally, I guess just for context, um, I've spent a lot of time with Jackie over the last few weeks. Um, her book has just launched um, through Organised Curate, Design. I supported her in the book launch and um, we've been chatting a bit. So, and I am um, a couple of chapters into your book. I haven't had much time lately, but when I have, your book is the one I've been reading. So it has been really lovely to kind of hear your words from from that perspective as well. But um, I, I guess one of the things that I, and this isn't something that I said in your bio, but this is something I heard you say at your book launch, um, you have referred to yourself as a Navy brat and I'm really curious to understand what that term means to you and how it kind of represents what your childhood was like.
1: Uh, yeah, it's funny because everybody loves that that term, Navy <laughs> brat, and I don't even know where it comes from. Um, but basically... Well, uh, I used
0: to hear that term. I used to hear the term Army brat because yeah. of where I lived in Queensland and there were lots of Army families. But... I didn't know if there was a difference between a navy brat and an army Oh brat, yeah, definitely. But you tell us. <laughs>
1: <it. laughs> you definitely. Oh my goodness. All right, tell us. Tell us. Um, you know, so dad, dad was a submariner with the Royal Australian Navy. So I just I grew up in that navy family. Um, dad was away a lot for work. Uh, I was even I was christened on board a submarine, which was pretty cool. Um, And I just had this childhood that was just full of adventure, really. You know, I would spend school holidays um, at naval bases playing on submarines with my little brother um, while dad worked. Uh, Dad did a stint in recruitment after an injury and he had a torpedo, uh, not a live torpedo, but he had an old. Torpedo um, on a trailer, and he drove around regional Victoria with this torpedo. So you know, like I would play on this old torpedo as a kid, and um, and I just kind of I became part of this navy community, really. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff I did as a kid, you probably can't, you probably can't run through submarines anymore. But that you know, yeah, it was a different
0: era. Like, <laughs> the you know seventies, eighties, nineties. like yeah. you know. Any of those eras, it's not that that sort of stuff doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I would assume not. Maybe it does. Well, not even
1: much though. When we are living in Perth, the naval base is on Garden Island, which is beautiful beaches on Garden Island. So summer holidays, Dad would put us on the beach with an esky and a radio, and he would go to work and he'd check in every now and then on the radio to make sure we were behaving. And, yeah, we would, we would grab a canoe and we would canoe around together, my little brother and I, and just, yeah, it was, it was good fun. It was really good fun. Um, and then even when Dad left the Navy, like I just had a million uncles, you know, and um, yeah. they, yeah. even after he passed away, which is over eight years ago now, the Navy community, they still just wrap me up in their support. And I just love how they, they all look out for each other um you know i'm not in the navy but they still count me as part of their family and it's really beautiful yeah
0: and i guess that is uh, we all gravitate to our people um the like-minded people who either are like-minded because we proactively choose to think and believe and and be a part of a community or we have had similar experiences and it's it's a feeling of coming home it's a feeling of um Security and understanding when you can be around people that just get it because they lived a life similar to you, or, or whatever else. So, d- what do you believe to be the difference between a Navy brat and an Army brat? What's the oh, difference? They're, and they're your just was like, a ago. <laughs>
1: it's um, oh, how do I? It's it's like going for different football teams almost, you know? Like there's just uh, different codes, <laughs> um, you know. Right. You've well, got the you, Army boys Let's and you've got the Navy boys and yeah, yeah, and then your RAF boys and yeah. Um, I mean, and girls now too, which is fantastic. So, yeah, but it was, um, it's just, yeah, it's like having different football teams, I guess. (laughs) That's so funny.
0: So how do you go from being a Navy brat and growing up in that environment and having, just seeing that firsthand and deciding to join the police? Where does that, and I know, like, I will preface all of these questions with, I'm sure some of these answers are in the book and we will have Jackie's book details in the show notes. So I am probably like pulling some stuff out that you could read about, but let's just keep going.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think I've got a whole chapter on this, so you'll have to read the full (laughs) story. You know, I, uh, as a girl growing up, I was always going to follow in dad's footsteps. I was determined to be a submariner and I pretty much prepared for that role my entire life. Like I studied up on everything I needed to do. I was completely ready. Uh, As soon as I was allowed to, I filled out the application form. Um, I went in, I had a panel interview, I did the psych testing, everything. Uh, And I went in to do my medical with the doctor and I have Hashimoto's disorder, which is an underactive thyroid. And I was diagnosed at the age of 15. So at the age of 17, um, they told me that I couldn't join because of that. So I take medication um, and I will take medication probably every day for the rest of my life. And the, the theory is that if there was a wartime situation and they couldn't get my medication to me, that then effectively I would die eventually. It would take a long time, but I would slip into a coma and die. Um, and so because of that reason, I couldn't pass the medical. And I actually went um, I went to the ombudsman because I was so so Uh, heartened like this was my dream and um they they couldn't overturn a medical decision and I I literally just packed up and went traveling I um went over to New Zealand and did six months in the ski fields over there and really thought about what I wanted to do um I'd never in my mind thought that the navy wouldn't be an option it was just that's what I was going to do you know so I came back um, I was living in Perth at the time, so I went back to Perth and thought, well, let's have a crack at the police instead." So I joined the police. It was not long after turning 19 I was accepted into the WA police, which was mm. um, which was awesome. I think I was I was gravitating towards that discipline of the Navy mm. brat childhood <laughs> uh, and I loved it. it was um. It was great fun being a cop. <laughs> I was a cop for through mm. four and a half years, I think it was, um, and I was quite quite lucky. I only did six months in uniform before joining a um, a team called We were the street prostitution team, um, and we we're trying to eradicate street prostitution in the area. So, what I did mm. in my short time as a police officer was was pretty remarkable.
0: <laughs> mm. Wow. You have to read the book, I'm sure. All more <laughs> stories <in the> book. <laughs> now, when I um, you know, I met you uh, probably just over 12 months ago, like I feel like I've known you for ages, but I, I know that it has been a fairly short amount of time. And then when I started to get to know you and obviously we was reading about, um, you know, reading your bio for today's interview or getting to know you through your book launch, um, one of the things that, obviously resonated for me because I was like, oh, of course, like growing up in that particular environment, you you would be, either one of two things would happen. You'd run for the hills and be as far away from that discipline as possible, or you would seek it out because it's kind of embedded in you. It's your, in your foundation. It's all that you know. Now, I've personally seen firsthand what, like the gruelling work that goes into becoming a police officer. So, I really love the, to the dedicated listeners who listen to this this podcast every week, every week they learn something really random about me. So the random fact about Caroline today is that I used to work for the Queensland Police at the academy and I worked there for a little while and I used to kind of support um the administrative team and and so I used to see firsthand what the cadets would do physically, but also get a really clear understanding because, you know, being in that space of some of the psychological work that they were doing and and just the array of training that goes into becoming a police officer. It's a random fact about me that a lot I would assume no one that listens to this podcast would know that. But I'm really curious to hear what is it about that time, be it in your training or in your experience when you were working, that you've been able to bring into your life today?
1: <clears throat> wow, there's, um, wow, there's so many things. <laughs> <laughs> tell, um, on, tell us the things. I mean, I was I was very naive at 19 and my eyes were opened very quickly, uh, particularly when I was working out of the Perth detective's office in the street prostitution team. Um The things I saw that I just didn't think existed out there, but um, Mm. you know, there's there's things I'll never unsee, and I still think about them. Um, But I think in terms of learning, the biggest thing I probably learned was the power of language, um, you know, and how we speak to people. So we're we're taught that in the academy, they call it verbal judo, um, and just Mm. how you speak to someone just makes such a difference in their response. You you were taught to speak to people from all walks of life, but also how you diffuse a situation just with the power of words. Um, and that's just really set me up, not just for my career outside of the police, um, but just just in life in general. It's, I've been hiking in the bush before and a man's walked around the corner with a machete. And I remember thinking at the time, like, how I respond to this is how it's going to play out. And so mm. I was, he had a dog with him and I was like, hi, how are you going? And played with his dog and, um, you know, he was, he was fine in the end, but it's pretty scary when you're walking by yourself in the middle of the bush and a man comes around the corner with a machete in his hand, like, yeah, right. um, but yeah, and I think, I, I almost think everyone needs to go through, whether they finish school and go through police or military or whatever it might be, everyone should do this verbal judo training, I think, because, um, how you respond to something makes such a difference in, in, in what the end result might be.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And it's funny that you tell us about this story about this man and when you were walking, because that was one of the first things I thought about when I, when I learned how long you spend on your own. My brain was like, that's not safe (laughs) and that was the first thing I was like what happens if you injure yourself and what happens if this happens And, and I was like well you're pretty clever I'm sure you got it covered and knowing that you'd been in the police and all that sort of stuff I'm like Jackie's got it sorted I'm not going to raise my concerns. I'm sure she's thought about these things. It was my first reaction. I was like, that doesn't sound very safe.
1: Yeah, and I like <laughs> so that So it is good too. to know um, that you've
0: got those skills.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, when I run in the bush or hike in the bush, I always, I'm as safe as I can be. You know, I carry um, uh, an emergency button that basically brings the helicopters if I need them um, and I carry emergency gear on me and things like that. I'm, I'm as safe as I can be. But at the end of the day, like I say to people, you know, you you can get Hit by a bus walking across the road or I can get knocked true. out by a tree in the bush. So, at least I'm doing something I love.
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> so true. That is a very, very valid point. Um, are there any other lessons other than the verbal judo that you can think of that, that you really kind of go, I definitely learned that in that point in my life?
1: Yeah, I think curiosity, um, mm. being curious and asking questions. Things aren't always how they appear. Uh, and, you know, I liken um, domestic violence as one of those examples. You know, you, you need to ask questions. You need to be curious. You can't walk in and just make assumptions. Uh, you've you've got to almost take the blinkers off sometimes and, and go in with eyes wide open.
0: Yeah, I really love that. It's a really valid point. And, um, you know, we've been told since we were kids, don't judge a book by its cover. Mm. And yeah, it's it's so true, And we're all working through our own journeys and 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 doing the best that we can with what we have at that exact point in time. and And I think that that really lends itself to that human kindness that we all should be really mindful of. And but, as you said, the curiosity, um, because if we can get curious on why, um, yeah, we can often have a better understanding of what's happening for that other person. Yeah, yeah. now speaking of why or maybe more how i'm the person that can't <laughs> but i shouldn't say can't because anyone that knows me knows that i can do a lot of stuff and when i say that i want to learn something or do something i just make it happen but i'm going to say that i can't run around the block without getting really puffed <laughs> and that i have proactively told myself that i am not a runner so how on earth do you get yourself to be an ultra marathon runner like how do you what's the process in getting your skill to that point and how on earth do you stay motivated when it is sub-zero degrees <laughs> um because <laughs> i can't are you motivated about motivated on like a, a 25 degree day on a flat <laughs> road <laughs>
1: It's funny because especially in training, people always say to me, how are you motivated? And, you know, some mornings I get up at 4.30am to train before work and at 4.30am, no one's motivated. That's discipline. <laughs> that is not motivation. <laughs> That's true. That's such a good point. Um, you know, I, I, the end goal is my motivation, but it's discipline in my training and my training plan. But I... Um, i did i enjoyed running as a young girl at school um dad used to be he would be at the sidelines of like my running events and he used to scream at me go little legs!" uh and i didn't really run after school and funnily enough in the police academy i hated running uh Mm. but um when dad got sick uh I can't even remember the year off the top of my head, but he got quite sick. He had um, post traumatic stress. He had a, a lot of uh, met, a lot of health issues, prostate cancer, um, and I was the stress of him being sick and seeing him go from being my hero to deteriorate in his health. Um, I started running, and Dad was a long distance runner, and he, him and I started sharing stories about running. And even things like talking about shoes and things like that. And I decided that uh, I wanted him to see me run a marathon before he died. So I trained for six months for this run. Um, and I'll never forget uh, he was sitting on a bench at the 42-kilometre mark and I, final 200 metres and I could hear him yelling, go little legs!" And like it still chokes me up now thinking about it. Yeah. so beautiful. I I ran that in June 2012 and he passed away in October. So it was really special for me that he got to see that. And I kind of, you know, after my first marathon I had the bug and so I ran a couple couple more marathons <laughs> and I just there was there's nothing like that finishing line feeling. Mm-hmm. And I just the stress then of grieving dad's death kept me running, I guess. Um, I then discovered trail running, so being out in the bush, and I love being out in the bush. And, yeah, once I discovered trail running, the road was gone. I was like, I'm all for running in the bush. And I wanted to keep going and going. So I upped the distance to 50 kilometres. Um, then I did a 75k race, then 100 kilometres, <laughs> um, which my first one was in the Blue Mountains, which was amazing. And then I did a 100-mile event, so 100 miles is a 160 k's. Um, and then, as I said on the weekend, I did my 107 kilometers in the Alpine region, um, and I just, I just love it. You know, for that 107 k's, I was probably only with someone for about 20 of those kilometers. The rest of it, I was just alone in my head, um, surrounded by the most beautiful mountains. Like it's, there's just something about pushing your body to extremes and just being, you know, submersed in nature for that long. It just, it makes me happy. Um, it challenges me. It makes me, you know, if you can run for over 30 hours straight, you can literally do anything. And anytime anything feels hard, you just remind yourself that, well, I ran for 30 hours through the night. Like, um, so I've done, God, dad's Dad's been dead nearly nine years and I've done 41 marathons, um, which includes, there's 20, 28 of those are ultra marathons, which I count as anything over 50. Um, 50 kilometers so yeah I just I love it and even now like I finished this run um and on Monday morning I'm already signed up to do it again in November <laughs> and go back and finish the 160 like yeah <laughs> it's yeah of course you have
0: but (laughs) mind you I wouldn't expect anything else and um and I guess even your clarification of the difference between motivation and discipline um and the driver for you and how much you love it like it's not like someone's saying to you you have to do this thing like you enjoy doing this thing um and it's a real passion of yours now do you when you're out there are you submersed in nature or are you headphones in like do you how do you break up that's a lot of time on your own and that is in itself a skill of just being completely comfortable in your own company um how how do you
1: experience that moment um I'm never a headphones person I actually don't understand people that need headphones (laughs) um because I love the sound of the nature of the bush around me but also I think it's a safety thing uh Mm, when you're out in the bush especially um I I love my own company. <laughs> you know, I have a, I have a job that is very social and mm. I'm always talking to people and I'm, I'm kind of always on the go, I feel like, and I absolutely love my own company. I love being in my own head. Um, mm. The idea, so I, I packed up a, a backpack a few years ago and headed out in the bush and the plan was to be gone for 28 days um, and I was going to hike 1,000 kilometres And after 350 kilometres, my hubby used his uh, delegated authority to pull me out because I had an infected foot that the doctor basically said if I kept going, they were going to chop my foot off. So (laughs) hubby was like, like, you you don't, we know that people can
0: run with prosthetics and there's a whole nother conversation (laughs) there but yeah you want to keep the one you've got if you can yeah yeah so
1: um good call and and that was hiking so I was carrying all my own gear and putting up my tent each night and um and I just I loved it and sometimes I'm in my head and sometimes I'm thinking about um particularly on the weekend I was thinking about food have I eaten enough I've got to get to the checkpoint by this time so it's not always in your own head um and sometimes it's just Very rarely because uh, they call it runner's high, but sometimes you're just um, completely out of everything. It's almost like you're meditating. You just, your mind is completely clear. Mm.
0: Yeah. And and I guess that's what it's all about. When we meditate, we float in and out of thinking about really conscious almost to-do list type thoughts and then um, just being, thinking about our own thoughts and then sometimes not even really knowing where we are.
1: Yeah. um, just yep.
0: physically moving, so and I wow. think
1: um, like it's my way of connecting with Dad still as well. I tend to mm. chat with him. Um, I'll run along and just chat away with him. And people, if people saw me, they'd be like, "What is she doing?" But yeah, I'm just <laughs> running along, <laughs> chatting with him, or it's um, or just yeah, thinking about what my next goals will be. I don't, I don't know. It's hard to. It's very hard to describe. <laughs>
0: mm, no, it sounds it sounds incredible. And as I said, don't get me wrong, I haven't quite found the motivator as in for me i'm all about why am i doing the thing and right now i have no reason to do the thing called running so i don't plan to find the discipline to make me do that thing i'll find something else (laughs) oh but thank you that um that makes so much more sense to me because and i think reframing motivation to discipline and um and then the driver of of why um is a really good understanding of of why you
1: run yeah for a really and long time. <laughs> it was funny because my training plan so I run five days a week when I'm training and sometimes my training can be you know I can go for an eight hour run on a Saturday, but I'll drive an hour and a half to get to the run so the whole day's gone but I will I will get up at four thirty in the morning one day a week and go hit the Dantonongs to do some hill training and I have no issue at all getting up at four thirty but the following day i might have a training run that sees me run around the block a couple of times and do speed work or something and i am not motivated to do that at all <laughs> like it's yeah. it's hard work the training and the discipline but the motivation is that end goal um that that race at the end on the horizon or or that long run on the weekend like yeah it's the love yeah. for it yeah
0: that yeah i was going to say it's this real love for it and when you speak about that time that you have when you're out there and especially even just having the space and the time to connect with your dad and to have those chats with him um that's really precious and to know that that's your space to do that or that's where you feel that that happens most naturally um is really lovely Mm. now speaking of your dad um he's obviously such a big part of your story so far um I've had the pleasure of hearing you speak about him a few times now and as I said, I'm a few chapters into the book and, man, that first chapter, it's um, its amazing. It's so well written, Thank Jackie. You. I just, um, it's heartbreakingly beautiful and so insightful and and it gave me such, as I said, I've been spending a bit of time with you lately, but it gave me such a further insight into who you are and the way you function and um, and this relationship that, that you had with your dad and have with your dad because it's it's not linear. Um, but tell us about the book and um, how does it feel to have it out in the world now? You've had your formal book launch, sold lots of copies. I saw lots of beautiful people come and get their signed copies from you. How does it feel to have it out in the world?
1: Um, it's still a bit surreal to be honest. Uh, like I've looked at photos from the launch and I'm like, wow, that really happened. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's great. And I'm getting such beautiful feedback. And even this morning I read an email from, um, someone who served with dad, uh, and he actually sent me some photos, uh, on the back of the book, there's a photo of me pushing dad in a wheelchair, um, which was his final Anzac day march. And this this guy was there, and he had some more photos from it, and he sent them through with a beautiful email about what the book meant to him. Um, so really loving hearing that people are loving it. Um, it's it's hard to put this out in the world. You know, I um I knew when da- so Dad died at fifty nine, so very young um, mm. after so many health issues, and I just I always knew I was going to write a book. You know, he had this amazing life, and. Just never started. And then in 2019, I kind of realized I didn't want this linear memoir of his life. I wanted, I actually find memoirs kind of boring. <laughs> um, and I didn't want that to be the story. So, yeah, a, a beautiful friend had said to me, it was almost like I wanted to write my love letter to dad. And that like floored me. I was like, that's exactly mm-hmm. what I wanted to do. Um, and that's what I've put out there is literally, it's like my love letter to him. And the writing of the book was really emotional. Um, Mm. Obviously, it starts with his death and ends with his funeral and then it's a reflection in between of what he's taught me. So very emotional to write it but also really healing to write it out. Mm. Um, Editing it was incredibly difficult because you literally relive moments over and over again. But the big thing for me was uh, being vulnerable enough to share that story. Um, You know, I, I talk about myself a lot in the book I talk about myself having suicidal thoughts as a teenager and it was really tough to share that. So, mm. you know, having the book out there and having people, a, a lot of people have said to me, wow, you were really vulnerable, um, but wow, like it inspires me to be vulnerable now and I love that. I think that's that's what I wanted people to get out of it really um, as well as maybe be inspired to have a bit more adventure in their lives. <laughs> I love that.
0: And I think that one of the things that I've really seen in you, and whilst I've been kind of hearing more about the book and reading the first few chapters myself, is that, as we said just a few moments ago, you can never judge a book by its cover. And you genuinely don't know what has happened and, and the life that someone has lived. And And I think as women in business or in a career setting or a corporate setting, We polish ourselves up pretty well. Like we have such great armour and it is Mm -hmm. super shiny and people are like, wait, what? Like surely not because you're so, you've got, you've got it all together. And yeah, I always, I'm always fascinated when I hear someone's story and it's so complex and and I don't actually think there's many people that don't have a complex story anyway because we all have our own versions of something. Yeah. Um, but that shininess of that super shiny armor that super professional people have yeah i'm always like hmm, tell me what's under that shiny yeah. armor cuz i'm like that's the vulnerable space where you learn so much and and that's why it's there um the armor's there for a reason be it to get through the day or to to have a sense of calm or control or or professionalism or determination whatever it is but i think we um you know when i when I read those first few chapters, and, and you do talk about um, that moment as a teenager and and some really turbulent home environments as well, and, and your really vulnerable personal stories, it really spoke true to the woman that I see in that corporate setting and, and whatever else. So, um, yeah, I can imagine there's a lot of people reading it going, ah. Oh, Yeah, I'm not alone in the fact that life hasn't been a straight road with no bumps, um, which is beautiful that you've chosen to share that with the world. Have you sat and read it since it's, like, been, like, is it for you? Have you written it and put it down and gone? Other people can read it now. Like, if you sat
1: down and read it today, is that really hard? Uh, I read it when I got the first book. Um, Mm -hmm. I sat down and read it as a book. and Was that about a month ago? yeah um okay that was a really I felt really proud when I did that Mm. because I I just got the feeling that dad would have loved it um so for me reading it as an actual book was almost like it was done it was finalized like yeah and I I still go back to it every now and then so I have one that sits next to me um and every now and then I might flick through to a certain chapter or something can it's, it's like a wow moment for me. It's like, you know, I, told, I said I was going to write this book for so long and now I'm kind of like, holy crap, I actually did it. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so it's almost like I have to pick up the book and be like, wow, this is my book. Like it's, this isn't a dream. I actually did this. Yeah. But my yeah. hubby read and it. And really I, don't think, um, I don't think my hubby's read a book since he left high school and <laughs> I, he didn't want to read it when I was writing it. He um, like I read a couple of things to him to make sure they sounded right and things like that. Mm. Um, but he wanted to read it when it was an actual book as well. So I was pretty impressed that he read it. <laughs> of course, he was going to read it. Like it, he oh my waited goodness, till I went away. We'd read and it. Like, we'd all be
0: like, "What's
1: wrong with you?" <laughs> yeah. Well, and he waited till I went away because he didn't want to read it in front of me. And I think that's because he thought he might cry. So <laughs> yeah. did he cry? Yeah, yeah, he had a few tears. Yeah, I mean, I him, say, him and he Dad were very can close. Take one and doesn't cry, yeah, mate, come on. I don't think anyone has read it without crying. So I should put a disclaimer no, in there. I you need some not. tissues.
0: <laughs> you need some tissues, but yeah, you should just get some branded tissues. We might I work should. on that, so, like come on. a pack or something. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. No, that's amazing. Um, and I, I'm sure, and that. isn't that a beautiful thing that you can still have those pinch me moments and you may still have them 20 years from now and, you know, be sitting there going and just having a conversation with someone and they're like, wait a minute, what's that book? It's got your name on it. You're like, oh yeah, I wrote a book in, you know, and released it in 2021 and, and there's my pinch me moment again, because someone has (laughs) you know, seen that I have a book, which is pretty amazing. Um, Now, one of the things that I, have seen and like really resonated throughout all of our discussions um is this real leadership that you have cuz you have lots of stuff going on in your life um we talked about rotary i know you're also um you know you play cricket so that's a big part of that leadership element as well and and whatever else but um tell us what you think that you learned from your dad in the sense of leadership
1: um I've heard so many stories from men who served with dad about what a great leader he was. You know, he wasn't he wasn't the captain of the submarine, but he was um the chief petty officer for a long time and a lot of men looked up to him. And I think it's mm-hmm. because he he was sort of he was on their level with them. He worked hard with them, put in the hard slog and was really just well respected. But he could talk to anyone. Um and it's often joked about that I inherited that from him he would he would say to me when I was young that I should be able to dine with the queen and use the correct cutlery but I should also feel comfortable eating in the gutter Um, and I Mm. he just Mm. he believed that the ability to be humble and talk to anyone was a quality of great leadership and not being scared to make a decision and backing yourself and I just think um, again curiosity as well is really important as a leader Asking questions, continuing to learn every day, and always just being kind, really. I I don't think it's um, I don't think it's rocket science. I really don't. And we can all learn to be good leaders. You know, supporting those around us is a huge leadership quality that dad taught me. Um, you know, I play women's cricket, like you said, and I'm part of this amazing leadership group, and I just see how much they support the new players, the younger players, the rest of the club. And it's so beautiful to witness um, women. I think particularly are not the greatest at supporting each other, and instead we try and compete. And mm. I've just I've witnessed the power of what can be done when we actually do support each other. Our top team in cricket took home the grand final this season. Just gone, like um, I've seen groups of strangers who have just met in 2019 become the best of mates, um, just because we mm. supported each other and lifted each other up, like. Um, I've seen friends who crush running goals, friends achieve new roles at work, friends who literally hold each other up. And I think that's true leadership. So, Mm.
0: yeah, and looking for those opportunities, but also making time for the ones that you don't actually realise are there, Mm. Um, because I think... That in certain settings, we almost put our leadership brain on and we go, oh, I'm at work or I'm at this event or I'm whatever. I'm, and it's an obvious one, but it's often when there's someone just in your peripheral vision that you go, oh, they might just need something. Yeah. And it's those moments, as you said, those moments of kindness and those moments of inclusion and and support that are often the ones that have the most impact um, and where we really show our leadership, which is mm. amazing. And what fantastic, what a fantastic collection of, you know, communities. Um, I saw them firsthand at the book launch. You had all your different communities um, there to support you and um, and it was really beautiful to see all these facets of of your life but all come together with this collective support for you. Um So now that the book is launched, um, what is next? You have
1: signed up for the November Ultra. Is it the Ultra? Yeah, so it's the same same run. Um, It was meant to be held in November last year, but I ran
0: it. November. Yeah. We could still have some. The weather might be nice. Yeah, like November in Victoria is still a bit iffy sometimes. It did snow one year,
1: so we'll see what happens.
0: (laughs) Um, But other than the goal towards now training towards November because I know that that will be a part of the process. What else is on the horizon for you? What are you working on?
1: Um. So are you resting? Well, at the moment I'm resting. I'll take a couple of weeks (laughs) off the running (laughs) and then I'll kick back into the training plan. So I I also start a new job next week, which is exciting um, in the business development space. So there'll be a big focus on my new role, um, which I'm hugely excited about. Uh, I'm part of the Rotary Club. So, my club, South Bank, has elected me to be their president for the 21-22 year. So, I'm pretty honoured to take that on. Uh, and I really look forward to achieving lots of wonderful things with the club. I'm also at the moment, I kind of plan on slowing down a little bit. You know, COVID didn't slow me down at all. I actually took the extra time at home to write a book and thought that because I was being given the gift of time I had to fill it and do everything <laughs> um I know that really. <laughs> and I feel like I've been kind of going at 110 percent for a long time so uh, this year I'm giving myself a bit of time to soak it all in um some time just to spend with hubby and the dog you know training for a miler is a lot of work and I am away running a lot so um until my formal training plan kicks back in, it'll just be, you know, going to the football together on the weekend and just sort of enjoying life a little bit. Um, there is another book in the in the works. Uh, there's an idea already that's yeah that's floating around. <laughs> so um, that I might start planning that out this year. But uh, yeah, is, I think
0: is writing a bit like you know running in the sense that it's a bug. And do you think you've got the writing bug?
1: I have got the writing bug. Yeah, I used to write as a <laughs> little girl. I used to write short stories when I was little. Um, and when I started writing the book during COVID, it all just came back. Like I've been blogging. I've been, like I'm writing my race blog this morning. Like I, it's, I'm loving writing again. And yeah, it's, I'm loving writing, I'm loving sharing it. It's good. Mm. <laughs> oh.
0: Well, that sounds like a really lovely balance of all the things, including some rest and some time with friends and family and loved ones and, and all of the things which, you know, as when you and I originally started speaking, um, I was really mindful of like, you know, what I do for a living. I am all about organisation, but I'm all about self-care and balance and intention and um, you are ticking all the boxes, which is really, really great to hear.
1: I'm not very good at that balance. I have to work harder.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know that. That's why I'm like, you're nailing it. It's great. It's great to hear that that is on the cards. Um, Now, my favourite question and my last one for today is who inspires you and why?
1: Wow. Uh, So, Dad, obviously. (laughs) um his life and death inspire me greatly um he i'm also inspired in my running um by so many that i meet out on the trails you know people who have these incredible stories and they're out there running for various reasons um there are some really special stories there uh i'm inspired by my rotary family my cricket family my own friends and family i I think, you know, I see people who achieve what they think is something so minor and yet they work so hard for it. And I just want to shout out from the rooftops how amazing they are. You know, you've got mums who kind of juggle it all. You've got friends who care for loved ones and just never complain about it. Um, friends who do good deeds every day and never speak of it. There's, mm. you know, there's some really big inspiring stories out there. So I think of like Tura Pitt who survived the bushfire during an ultra marathon? she just like, she blows me away. (laughs) Um, But I don't think, we don't always need a big story to inspire us. I think what we do day to day can really inspire us as well and inspire others. So I'm I'm inspired when I see a friend step out of her comfort zone, however minor or however small that might seem. Um, I'm inspired when I see a friend just set a goal and achieve it. I'm inspired... Mm. When, you know, I witness people who are scared that they might fail, but they have a crack anyway, like, I think, yeah, it's all that little stuff that inspires me the most.
0: Yeah, and it's so true. We And, you know, we keep circling back to the same, almost the same foundations of what you have been talking about throughout most of our, our questions and discussions today is that, you know, everyone has a story and everyone's doing their own thing and, and if we can just Pay a bit attention and and really identify that and 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 celebrate those moments with them. Um, mm. as well. And you know, it is we there's so much inspiration in the world which is just beautiful.
1: Yeah. Well is, and you've just got to look for it. It's there, it's there yeah, everywhere. And it's right under
0: your nose. Like yep. you don't have to look very far. So yeah.
1: Yep. So true.
0: Well, thank you. For today, it has been such a pleasure to chat with you to have you answer some of my questions. I always have a million questions for people, but I often, when I interact with people outside of the podcast, I'm often the one like they're doing all the talking and and I you know, like I'm there to do a role so it's so nice to just go I want to know all the things and I'm sure <laughs> the listeners want to hear the answers so it's a nice balance I am thoroughly looking forward to finishing your book and um as I said earlier we will have all of Jackie's details in the show notes um so if you want to connect with Jackie directly um we'll add her um details there for her website um which is also where you can um purchase the book and um all her social media handles and all that sort of stuff will also be in our show notes so thank you again jackie um thank you for having me such a pleasure and um to our listeners we will chat to you again on the next episode of she inspires me thank you for joining us today and for being a part of this incredible community Remember to hit subscribe, to share this episode with your friends and family and to join us in our next episode to be inspired by more exceptional women.